0: this mid-20th century is Africa's. This decade is the decade of African independence. Forward then to independence. To independence now. Tomorrow the United States of Africa. Jumbo Marafiki and welcome to another episode. Before I get into today's controversial topic, let me just say this. This episode took me a lot longer than expected to research, hence the significant delay between episodes. This is because, although I thought I knew some stuff about the conflicts in Africa, I did not anticipate how much information I would have to sort through. Although I went into this episode with the goal of just talking about the Nigerian Civil War, I quickly found myself realizing That an episode about the war would probably need a separate episode just to explain the context of the situation. And, in classic Nate fashion, plans changed. So instead of just talking about Biafra and the conflict surrounding it, today we will dive into the origin of modern conflict in Africa. Today, the hungry African child story. Part 1. This will be a multi-part endeavor, so please bear with me. I cannot guarantee a timeline as to when the next episode will be released, but it will be hopefully less time than it took for this one. Anyways, without further ado, today's episode. Today's story, like many others in modern Africa, begins in the 1880s, in the course of Europe's largest powers. Now by 1880, the vast majority of Africa was free from European rule, save a few small, loosely governed colonies. The only exception to this was the Orange Free State and Transvaal in Southern Africa, which was made up of Dutch settlers who escaped British rule. These settlers set up their own independent countries where slavery and the later predecessor to apartheid took place with little to no intervention. But this is a story for another day. A mere six years later in 1886, and every single bit of African land besides Ethiopia and Liberia was claimed by a handful of European empires. This is essentially how Africa became colonized. Europeans gathered at a conference in Berlin with a large and inaccurate map of Africa and drew lines, arbitrary borders, and divided up the continent between themselves. No African was present. On top of that, many people there have never even set foot on the continent. This short period of rapid colonization had devastating results for the people of Africa. I never quite liked the term colonization when it came to Africa. But it is the best English language term we have, or at least I think we have. See, Africa was not colonized in the same context as, let's say, the Americas or Australia. It was not even necessarily conquered. It was just unrightfully claimed. Imagine if you were, let's just say, to one day own every single mall in Arkansas. Even though you never have been to Arkansas, you don't even know if Arkansas has any malls. Hell, you don't even know if Arkansas really exists. All you care about is that you now own all of the malls there. Nobody in Arkansas knows who you are. No mall owners have any idea who their new boss is, but you now own all the malls in Arkansas, just like that. This is what basically happened in much of Africa. Again, not so much in the Southern extremity, that situation was more along the lines of what happened in the American West during the Great Manifest Destiny Western expansion. See, colonization in the North American context meant mass migration from Europe to the Americas. These people came over for many reasons, primarily cheap land and less religious persecution. This is what is known as settler colonialism, just like Israel today. Anyways, (laughs) of course, This did not happen in Africa. See, a colony by definition implies large-scale settlement of people from elsewhere. Colonists made a new home out of a foreign land. Africa was never truly meant to be the home for Europeans. Hence, why the result of European colonization in the Americas is radically different than that of in Africa. America was built by the colonizers. Africa, well, was not. Rather, Africa was viewed like a large, untapped natural resource. From the onset of the transatlantic slave trade, Africa was a source of money for European capitalists. Rather than build roads, schools, cities, and factories like in America, Europeans built mines, logging camps, and small coastal trading settlements. Rather than send over immigrants to be workers, they sent over engineers to recruit the local African populations to labor for them. In essence, this is still going on today with the many Chinese factories around the continent. Now, okay, I get it. You're thinking, mate. this is an obvious reason as to why the 60s and 70s were an extremely violent time for the continent. New countries, low education rates, the perfect feeding ground for corruption, war, and other human-made disasters. But the 70s ended 41 years ago. And by this logic, Djibouti, which is the last African country to officially gain independence from a European power in 1977, should be the most unstable and war-torn. But this is not the case. In fact, it's far from true. Although lacking many basic human rights, Djibouti can be considered somewhat of an African success story. It prioritizes education with a staggering 20% of its national budget going towards education alone. Besides from a relatively small insurgency in the early 90s, it has had a peaceful history since independence. To use the logic that new African countries experience issues and older ones do not, well, it's simply not true. But it does have somewhat of an impact. Take Angola for example, only gaining independence in 1975. It has a history mired in internal conflict, and is still dealing with this large scale internal conflict to this day. Combine that with the extreme corruption amongst its political elite, the gentrification of Luanda and the oil money, Angola is a stereotypical African story. Same goes for Mozambique, which also gained independence earlier in 1975. But then there's Liberia, the first of Africa's colonized countries to gain independence way back in 1847, before even Canada became independent. But Liberia is arguably in a worse state than Angola, War, disease, corruption, poverty, are all synonymous with Liberia. Today, when one thinks of Liberia, Ebola and even cannibalistic warlords may even come to mind. So, why? Why is Africa like this? Why do we associate Africa with the hungry African child trope? Why is Africa seemingly so random and unpredictable? Well, there's a surprisingly simple answer to this question. And this answer applies to every case of poverty anywhere in the world, money. See, for a long time, Africa has been portrayed as poor and unproductive. However, this is far from reality. Africa's arguably the richest part of the world. The issue is that everyday Africans see practically none of this wealth. Instead, it is siphoned into the pockets of rich foreign so-called investors. The remaining drops of wealth are largely pocketed by politicians When the people become fed up with these corrupt politicians, coups often occur. When a coup does not go to plan, civil war. In war-torn countries, the warlords and generals take the role of politicians and use the little remaining natural resource wealth to fund their campaigns. Once success has been achieved, the same cycle repeats itself. So in essence, it's not poverty which grips Africa, it's the lack of wealth control. Of course, this cycle is going on to this day and in some cases, in a bolder manner than ever before. According to some sources, there are well over 10,000 Chinese-owned factories and manufacturing plants on the continent alone. On top of this, there are countless European and North American-owned factories as well. These businesses operate on what is known as a debt-based economy, where so-called poor countries take out loans from so-called wealthy countries and develop infrastructure and whatnot only to then be unable to pay back these loans. So they pay in natural resources and land instead. Or they also pay by providing absurd benefits to these foreign companies, such as tax-free business. This debt compounds itself to the point where many African countries today rely on it. Today, if you visit Zambia, for example, you would constantly be bombarded by the presence of Chinese businesses and business people. The same goes for many other African countries and countries with large African diaspora populations in the Caribbean and Latin America. Now, you would think that this provides a benefit to the African people, but sadly, that is incorrect. Whereas African countries are almost forced to be hospitable to, let's just say, the Chinese investors, China is not. In fact, China is known for not being hospitable to people who is not of a fair complexion. But again, (laughs) that's a story for another day. China is not the only culprit when it comes to this. France does the same thing in its former colonies. Belgium does the same in the Congo. The wealthy Middle Eastern countries do the same in North Africa. The British, Germans, Americans, Portuguese, Canadians, and Russians also have their teeth sunk into African assets. Now, I get this. Capitalism is an issue. We all know that. I mean, if you've been listening to my podcast for any significant point of time, you would know I'm an avid radical leftist. But there's more to this than just capitalism. In fact, it's a lot more complicated than just that. Perhaps no point in history saw more foreign meddling than during the Cold War. In fact, every African conflict to this day can find its root in some event or the other relating to the Cold War. Well, when you think about it, every single conflict in the world today can find its roots during the Cold War or its fallout. For the sake of my and your sanity, I will not go into the details of every conflict in Africa since the Cold War. There are just too many. Just the outcomes of most of them have overarching conflicts to this day. Now, when discussing the Cold War in terms of Africa, many parallels can be drawn to other places around the so-called Third World. Haiti, Grenada, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Angola, Mozambique, Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar, Korea, and Afghanistan all have one thing in common. were all battlegrounds for proxy wars between capitalistic and communistic countries, primarily NATO and the Warsaw Pact led by the Soviet Union. However, unlike much of this so-called third world, Africa is still feeling the impact of these wars greatly. Perhaps no place more than the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Now, I love this country. Most of my university essays focused on the politics and history of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. From the slave trade, To the 2010s, the DRC has been a great case study when it comes to studying Africa. During the early 60s, it was forced into the international game of 3D chess, which was the Cold War. A newly independent nation was looking to the left for progress. After all, the communist revolutions of China and the Soviet Union have turned those nations from feudal monarchies into what was seen to them as communist utopias, so the propaganda would make you think. It's no surprise that the people of the newly independent Congo wanted a taste of this socialism. And who better to lead this movement than Patrice Lumumba? Now, I will not go into too many details about his life, as it deserves its own episode. However, what we need to know is that Lumumba was friendly with the Soviets. And which country at that time was the most afraid of communism in Africa? Well, the United States, of course. This basically resulted in Lumumba being executed by CIA-backed operatives and Mobutu being installed as a dictator. Mobutu began life in office as nothing but more than a slave to the American system. Once the Cold War ended, America's money stopped flowing in and Mobutu's rules would come to an end in the 90s, only to be replaced by an even more oppressive leader after leader after leader. Today the Congo still finds itself at the mercy of Western capitalistic objectives, from the Koltan mines to the hydroelectric projects on the Congo River. In essence, the Cold War forcefully injected the idea of an overarching political and economic ideology into Africa, these being capitalism and socialism. Rather than letting a uniquely African system come to fruition, like what was done by Libya under the control of Colonel Gaddafi, the Soviets and NATO, forced these newly independent African countries to pick sides in a war no African really wanted. These Cold War conflicts did not end in the 90s. Far from it. Take Angola, for example. The Civil War in Angola lasted from the mid-1970s right up until 2002. In the early goings on of the war, both Cuba and the Soviet Union, as well as the remainder of the communist world, supported the MPLA's push for power, which was ultimately successful. On the other side, UNITA, a proto-fascist group, supported by apartheid South Africa, and even Mobutu Zaire, and France, as well as the rest of NATO unofficially, uh, pushed for power against the MPLA. Even after Cuban and Soviet troops withdrew from Africa in 1991, the war still raged on. Almost as if the belligerents of the conflict forgot what they were fighting for. In the 90s, even a mercenary group known as Executive Outcomes took the place of Cuba and the Soviets and fought alongside socialists. The seeds of war were sown into ethnic tensions in Angola during the 60s and early 70s. The world powers coerced each side into joining them, resulting in a war which killed 800,000 civilians and displaced an additional 4 million. What was the outcome? Well, today Angola is somewhat stable, minus the Cabinda region, but the government is corrupt beyond belief, and the wealth gap in Luanda is criminal. In fact, and is argue to be the most expensive city in the entire world. Wars like these took place all across the continent, many of them resulting in extraordinary numbers of death and peoples displaced. The Nigerian Civil War even saw the Zionist nation of Israel switch sides, simply because Palestine chose to fight alongside Nigeria against Biafra. The same goes for the conflict in Western Sahara, which Israel was also involved in on the side of fascist Spain. Well, Israel really loves getting involved in African conflict. But anyways, that's another story. But when you really think about it, even Israel's invasion of Egypt was backed by Cold War powers. The point is, the Cold War and Israel kind of have done more harm to Africa than most colonial powers. The colonizers may have kept Africa under an obvious thumb, but the Cold War powers gave Africans guns and bombs and told them to kill each other. The main goal of this, well, instability breeds an environment where power can be grabbed by the one who has the most money and the biggest guns. The power, however, comes with a huge catch. The giver of power basically owns all of the natural resources in said country. This is how neocolonialism works. From countries as small as Israel to those as big as the United States, neocolonial powers have been meddling in African affairs for nothing more than financial gain and what I can basically say is political clout. In most cases around the world, war never ends well, besides for those who put, who profit from it. For example, the United States experienced an economic boom after World War I and World War II due to the massive amount of money made by businesses which profited from the war. However, again, this is not always the case. Big business profits from war in Africa, but Africans are left to bear the burdens of the debts. War not only devastates the population, but it also scars the land, traumatizes the people, and destroys livelihoods. Many Cold War era wars in Africa not only saw official military action, but also mercenaries, and more notoriously, warlords. Warlords have always been present in the most parts of the world, but nowhere are they more present than in the most war-torn places in the motherland. Warlords are notorious due to many things, primarily the use of child soldiers. How many of you remember Kony 2012? Well, I remember. In fact, I will do an entire episode about that one day. But for now, we need to understand how people like Kony even come about. And to answer that, I will not even have to explain too much. Warlords in Africa and the rest of the world are after one thing, power. This lust for power is financed by businesses and government agencies overseas, the CIA, as well as Mossad in Israel, are very well known for doing this. This overseas entities would finance and train and equip the highly power hungry people and guide them in leading what can only be called a campaign of terror. The aim for these foreign players is to gain favorable uh, leadership in the country so that business can be done with less restrictions. In essence, wars are fabricated for big business profit. Of course, warlords are not equipped to rule a country, so it's almost inevitable that their rule will fail, either by another warlord usurping power or by a straight-up foreign invasion. Assassination, arrest, forced exile, and coups are also way too common. Moreover, those methods of deposing a leader are also funded by foreign stakeholders. And why are these people so susceptible to corruption in the first place? Well. The immediate state of post colonial Africa was wrought with instability. Instability creates poverty and desperation. Desperate times, of course, call for desperate measures, incomes, foreign money, and offshore accounts to a very select group of people. These individuals gain a sense of authority and power to aim and to wield it over their people. More money means more power, which means more corruption. Eventually, the country becomes even more desperate and unstable, resulting in that leader being overthrown or killed or something like that, only to be replaced by a new leader who exhibits the same traits. This creates a positive feedback loop propelled by money from foreign capitalists. This feedback loop keeps the prices for natural resources low and the local officials docile and susceptible to corruption. This results and somewhat cheaper prices for consumers in the West, meaning more profit for these companies. More profit means more money to create instability in Africa. And that's how Africa became what it is today. Now keep in mind, all of Africa is not like this, but way too much of it is. Now, before I officially wrap up this episode, I wanna put in another, I guess you can say, little bit of input as to the situation which has been going on in Africa, again, since the 1960s. As I've said earlier on in today's episode, foreign players have had a huge impact on what is going on in Africa. And then critiquing these foreign players tends to give us critics a bad name. We are labeled as socialists or radicals or anarchists or basically kids with too much education and too much time. Well. I will have a message for those people who claim to think that Africa is poor because Africans don't know how to manage themselves, especially to my friends and people and listeners who may come from other cultures which experienced oppression in the past. In order to, I guess you can say, conquer oppression and free yourself from the shackles of capitalistic bonds of big companies in America and Europe, you have to take measures into your own hand you have to learn how to control your own wealth. And you have to learn how to not let that wealth consume you with greed, with the the idea that more wealth means more prosperity. Because at the end of the day, according to many African people which I've interacted with on my social media and what I see on the internet, Africans really only want one thing, peace, as do most people around the world. And they want this peace to be achieved using African methods, African ways, African politics, and African economics. However, this peace cannot be achieved unless outside powers stop meddling in African affairs. And I will call them out by name, as I did earlier in the episode. The two biggest powers meddling in African affairs today are the United States and China, just like back in the 80s and 70s it was the United States and the Soviet Union. These outside powers have done more harm to Africa and African people even those in the diaspora, than Africans have done to themselves. This is done again, as I said earlier, by selling weapons, by making empty promises of prosperity, and by declaring certain African leaders as a threat to, let's be real, American freedom, because America loves freedom so much that it won't let its own people be free from American imperialism. And it's not just these large countries either. Smaller countries, like Israel, have a huge impact and a huge negative impact on Africa and Africa's stability. For example, Israel played a huge role in destabilizing Egypt. Israel also played a huge role in the assassination and the downright murder of Colonel Gaddafi. Now look, Gaddafi was not popular among many non-Africans, but in Africa, Gaddafi was seen as a hero, as a unifier, as a peacemaker, as someone who can lead Africa into a bright future. But with the death of Gaddafi and the death of many of these leaders by CIA and Mossad bullets, these leaders dying and, and forcefully have left power vacuums only to be filled by warlords who are easily corruptible by these foreign powers. Then these foreign powers will point at these warlords and say, look at these people and what they're doing to their people. Meanwhile... If you take a look at, let's just say, the United States, for example, and the amount of incarcerated African Americans and First Nations Americans, you take a look at Israel and what's happening right now when it comes to, let's be real, it's apartheid. Anybody who studies history will see what's going on in Israel as apartheid. And as someone who is an African, to see what's going on in Israel, to my uh, fellow people of oppression, the Palestinians, you know, there's not much I can say other than a revolution is needed in such a situation because things like apartheid and capitalist greed and, and state-sponsored racism have no place in the 2020s. They have no place throughout history, but especially today when we are all aware of what's going on in the world. But in the next episode, I talk about this topic. It may not be the next episode that comes out, but it will be sometime in the near future, hopefully before uh, uh, the end of June. I don't know when, I can't promise. Um because it will take a lot of work, it'll take a lot of effort to put these episodes out. But before I leave you with my closing statements here, I wanna encourage you all to share this episode with people who you will think or may think will disagree with me. Whether they be African or non-African, I don't really care. It's important that these messages get out to the people to understand that it is not Africa that's causing Africa's suffering. Just like it is not a depressed person who causes their own suffering by being depressed. It is the state of their existence, the, the, the life that they have to exist in, that forces them into this state of oppression and depression and suffering. They did not choose the life. And the life did not choose them. The life was forced upon them by those on the outside who saw them as easy pawns and, 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 and cheap, worthless workers to be used to utilize and to make a quick buck. Anyways, that's enough for that today. And that, Marafiki, is where I will end today's episode. See, I told you that all of this will most likely be a multi-part endeavor. However, before I officially wrap up, I will leave you with this task. Now please, when you have a chance, do some research of your own. Watch documentaries, both from non-African and African providers, and if you would like, I could let you know what sources sources I use for my episodes. There are a lot of them. I'll be happy to let you guys know them and utilize them uh, if you want. Let me know. Anyways, I am Nate, your true Rafiki. Please don't forget to check up my social media at RafikiPod and reach out to me on there. Also, if you can, please share my podcast with your friends and family. Maybe even save a few episodes to listen to offline while you're out. As always, stay safe, and you'll hear from me soon.